Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Now available on YouTube when you head to youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. That's youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. This week, I sit down with my friend, Abby Libby. That conversation is next. But first, I want to talk to you about a hero of the American Revolution, a man whose words inspired a nation to act. And when the going got tough, his words inspired a nation to continue the fight for freedom. I'm talking about Thomas Paine, and a new blend from American Pride Roasters Coffee honors that hero. The Thomas Paine blend features 50% smooth and elegant Guatemalan beans and 50% raw, strong Vietnamese Robusta beans, which are double the caffeine of Arabica beans. This stuff is going to wake you up the way Payne woke up colonial America. Head over to aprcoffee.com and try the new Thomas Payne blend today. There's so much to try over there, and it's all 10% off when you apply promo code ATM at checkout. That's aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Abby Libby may sound like a made-up name, but it is 100% real, and so is she. She and I sat down on her recent visit to Dallas to learn about her life story. And that conversation starts right now on At The Mic. Now, this is your real name. Yes. Abby Libby. Yes, that it is It sounds like a name. Twitter like handle that you would have created out of thin air, but no, that's not the case. Yeah, if I was a liberal, it would be a pretty, pretty great yeah. persona. But you're not a liberal? I, <laughs> I am not a liberal. Okay, all right, cool. You're right, that would have been too convenient if you were liberal being that you're abby libby on twitter and in real life <laughs> whenever i say something that the conservatives don't completely love because of course people like to hear their own opinion coming out of sure. your mouth yeah. with no variation and so if i say something even a little bit off of what they want to hear mm-hmm. uh it's abby liberal oh abby liberal oh no does that happen <laughs> a lot oh no <laughs> Yeah, isn't Twitter a fun place? It's pretty fun, right? It's so great. It's so great. All right, so you were born in Maine. Mm. Not many people can point to Maine as their home state, so kudos to you. Yeah, I planned it really well, so I'd be able to have that brag. (laughs) How old were you when you moved out of there? I moved at 18. I came to Virginia for college. So your entire childhood was spent in the state of Maine? No, three of those years, not concurrently, were in... uh, Western Africa. Wow, I didn't realize you were there that long. Okay, so you were in uh, the Ivory Coast, right? Yes, the Ivory Coast. So what took you from Maine to Africa? So my parents were missionaries with a a company called New Tribes Mission, which is under a different name now, and I don't really know what name that is now, Mm -hmm. but uh, a mission focused on learning the language and giving people scripture in their, what they call heart language. So Mm -hmm. rather than, because a lot of these countries have a a primary language like Ivory Coast. It was a French colony, so it's its national language is French. Wow. But there's about sixty language groups in the nation and wow. the mission of New Tribes Mission was to give everybody, all sixty of those language groups, the Bible in the language that their heart speaks and that they're sure. that they think in. So what language did your parents uh speak over there? So our function was running the missionary school for the missionaries that were in the tribes so that they could focus in the tribes and run uh, international school for their kids. Uh. So they were just focused in French and teaching 
my dad taught science and my mom taught English. What was your age when you were over there? I was five when we first went over in 2000 and seven for the first evacuation when the country heated up mm. and then nine when we met back and nine that one was a shorter period of time before it blew up again. Mm. Wow. So that must have been quite an experience because you probably remember quite a bit from that time, huh? The, yeah, I have some pretty, pretty vivid memories. Mm. It's what you would expect from a third world country. Very, very poor, mm -hmm. very dry, dusty uh, winds coming down off the Sahara. Mm. Agrarian subsistence living. Would you ever want to go back there? Missions is not my calling, mm -hmm. but I would like to go back mm. someday, see it again. And... I guess when you, I hear this from a lot of people who end up going to third world countries, go to Africa, you have a sense of, and maybe you were too young or maybe not to kind of get this kind of vibe, but people always appreciate this country, the United States, more after they have been overseas for any amount of time, really. I was there too long at too formative of an age that was my normal mm -hmm. so rather it's been now looking back i can say i'm so thankful i got to grow up here with all the opportunities rather than you know the initial plan was to have been there my entire childhood and really? possibly because that was the you know career missionaries is what my parents were planning on uh -huh. so that would have meant i would have been there at least until college mm if not choosing to stay past that point. A lot of kids do just choose to fold right into the ministry or they come back to the States and have their college. So that was the plan. So for me, when we lost that, I lost my home. I lost my like life. Mm. So it took a long time before I appreciated the opportunity of the place I ended up living. Mm -hmm. So do you wish that you had been able to stay there until you were an adult? For a long time. Wow. I wish that. Wow. Yeah. Looking back, are you glad that it worked out uh, the way it did back in the States? Now I can I can say it worked out the way it was it was supposed to, and mm. I, I probably wouldn't have had the opportunities I sure. have. Yeah. Do you think you might ever go back? If I had a reason to. Right. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that that wasn't your calling. Is there anything in particular that you think is your calling or that, that, that you've pursued? I currently work for a military support organization that helps combat wounded veterans and their families. And partially because of my experiences in Africa with, mm -hmm. with war, having the, a unique sort of experience that helps in that. So is that my calling forever? I don't know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's certainly something I'm called to right now. And what group is that that you work for? It's called Freedom Alliance. Mm -hmm. It was founded by Colonel Oliver North after his experiences with Vietnam and he said, I don't want veterans to ever be treated this way again. We're going to start an organization um, to make sure people from Desert Storm 9-11 onward yeah. are treated better. That's good. That's good. So you're visiting Texas right now. You're visiting family. You've been eating some of the Texas food. By the way, you brought in some local donuts I've not been familiar with. Uh, I've not heard of this company. And uh, What is it? It's uh, Mochi Nut. Yeah, I didn't realize that there were bacon, like literally there's a donut inside that box. It's covered in little bacon bits. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to enjoying that. So thanks for uh, bringing that because I mean, that's the one thing when you visit the Blaze, if you bring food, like the gift of food, <laughs> my gosh, you're, you're practically in our will at this point. 
<laughs> so so thanks for bringing those. So w- what have you uh, experienced as far as local uh, Texas uh, food offerings here? I had some Tex-Mex last night, lots of tacos and queso and frozen custard. I don't know if that's a Texas thing oh, wow. or not. No, but. I, I, I know it's good, but no. <laughs> you, didn't you have, because I never thought of chicken and waffles, okay, as a breakfast thing. But is that what you had for breakfast this morning? I had chicken and waffles and like <laughs> steak and eggs and all, there was a lot of sharing going back and forth at my table. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, um, yeah, chicken and waffles, I've had that as just like a, like a, like a dinner meal. It, it never occurred to me, never mind the waffle aspect, that it was also totally suitable for breakfast. It's probably suitable at any time of day, really. I agree. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you had barbecue while you've been here? That's, oh, you would no. think I would have, oh, but no. I have not had barbecue. That'll be your next meal. Okay. Yeah. So you have a younger sister. and Was she over there, obviously, um, with y'all in the Ivory Coast? Yeah, my sister Liz is two years younger, and she was she was there mm-hmm. with the whole family. And, I mean, is she going to go back, do you think? I don't think so. Yeah, okay. I love your earliest memory here. You lost a coat at an airport when you were three years old? Yeah. Oh, no. What did you do? I I think it just was on the back of my uh-huh. my chair. We were eating. I have a memory of eating at this table in my pink coat. It was a pretty new coat, too, uh-huh. um, on the back of my chair. And then I think they called for the plane, and my parents were you know, juggling two mm. very small children. Yeah. And it wasn't until we got home that they were, oh, coat's gone. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Now, on this trip, you've been going through airports. You haven't lost a coat or misplaced any articles of clothing, right? No, but I did slice my no. knuckle open trying to get a Sprite open. On- oh, hello, Keith. How are you? <laughs> I mean, that's literally what I do, stuff like that. Okay, well, I'm glad to see you. Oh, you got a Band-Aid all over there? That's literally from opening a, 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 a was it can? It was, it was one of those... Oh. Glass balls of Sprite, and I didn't have a bottle what? opener, so I found the the most banged up looking handle in my hotel room, and I was going like that on the oh, side, no. trying to get yeah, and oh, I sliced. No. That literally sounds like something I do on a regular basis. <laughs> All right, so you went to Patrick Henry College in Virginia. I did study literature. Mm-hmm. What had you planned on doing with a literature degree? My original plan when I went to school was to go for journalism, and so I started off in the journalism program right out of the gate. And about a year in, I realized that at least the journalism industry, as it was described to me by my professor, Mm -hmm. was not something I wanted to be involved Mm -hmm. in. I didn't. I wanted to be able to be conservative and not have to hide who I was or Mm. you know bury who what my values were. I took a different direction and I took a little bit more journalism classes, radio, audio classes, um, writing things. Did your professors tell you that radio doesn't pay? (laughs) <laughs> they, they, I, I think that was mentioned. <laughs> well, at least you had honest professors. Yeah, there. yeah. I dropped out of school at that two-year mark after I finished my sophomore year, mm-hmm. and uh, got into the workforce. Served, waited tables for six months or so before I got a job at a church, mm-hmm. and then I was able to use almost all of those classes that I had taken the the journalism writing classes and the audio editing just a little bit and mm-hmm. it was just enough just enough huh to to be useful to okay them. cool all right so let's go through some of the jobs that you wanted to hold uh, <laughs> from from a young age because you're still young you could probably pull off any of these do you, do you still have an inkling to be a doctor no i realized 
around nine. Okay. Nothing. That I couldn't handle the blood. Uh-huh, you're right. That's that's a big part of being a doctor. How about a lawyer? You ever want to be an attorney? A- occasionally, <laughs> like watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, I think, ooh, I could go to law school right now and still make it. Right, right, right. Uh, let's see. Actress, is that still something you'd want to do? I do community theater, so okay, I do cool. kind of scratch that itch a little yeah, bit. Yeah, all right. Scientist, that's kind of a broad term. You want to be a scientist? That was still kind of, that was when I gave up doctor and I still thought okay. I want to do something sciencey. but in the same, for the same reason I didn't go into journalism, I didn't want to be in a position where I had to lie about my values or pretend sure. I didn't think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Now, if you uh, are good at acting, that would be a skill that would come in handy if you still want to be a politician. <laughs> so, I mean, are you still thinking maybe one day you might run for office? Yeah. you can do that at any age. Absolutely. If the opportunity arose, cool. I, I would. I could definitely see myself doing that. Is there any particular um, political office that you would uh, be interested in? Like, would you be local, or you want to be national, or anything in between? I think I would start local mm-hmm. and just okay. go up as far as I could go. But see, the name though, the name might be an issue. It might because how are you going to sell yourself, Abby Libby? <laughs> People are going to have a tough time believing that's your name. I. Or that the the politics don't match up. (laughs) In professional circles, I go with Abigail Libby, which doesn't make it a whole lot better, but I do often get mistaken for the the Libby of canned vegetable variety, which I am not. Oh, right, right. (laughs) I could probably get away with that. I forgot about that, yeah. Okay, so you list your husband, John, Mm -hmm. as the person who has had the biggest impact on you. Where did you guys meet? We met through mutual friends at a 4th of July party. Mm. So John is four and a half years younger than me, which means that he was just getting out of high school when I first met him (laughs) and I was right in college. So my initial impression was, why is this kid showing up to, you know, this- He's got moxie. Older kids and he was there with his brother and I was like, okay, well, he's just, and his family set off all these fireworks. So I, I was like, fine, he could be here if he's going to set off the fireworks. <laughs> it's not like I was the arbiter of that party. But I didn't I didn't pay much attention to him for a couple oh, years. Boy. He, over the next two years, he, he got more involved with the friend group. And I found out that he went up every year to a town in northern Maine, very, very poor town in northern Maine, right next to where I used to spend my summers. Mm. And he had this connection with this town where he'd go up with a group and fix roofs and and paint and just kind of do service work up there. So we just started talking and forming a little bit more of a connection through that shared experience. And he was really fascinated with my experience in Africa. Mm -hmm. And so conversations about missions work and the difference between long-term and short-term missions work kind of came up. And I thought, okay, well, he's the decent, decent guy. guy. It's fun to talk to, all, you know. So I figured uh, he can. So you robbed the cradle. I I did. He. <laughs> it took about a month from when he he confessed to having feelings. I was very very angry because I I thought you had to just go and ruin this perfectly good friendship. <laughs> I was really really not oh, happy no. with him. Oh no! But poor John. <laughs> I know. And he just stuck by. I I said I don't I don't. You're too young. We're not on the same page. Hmm. I I enjoy you as a friend. And he said, that's fine. I don't need anything from you. I just want you to know. I just want you to be aware. And he just stuck by. And I remember the moment I started to change my mind was we had 
both pulled up to, we were going to go swimming with a group of friends in the Shenandoah River. And I pulled up and then he pulled up and he, he pulled something out of his car. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, your tire is flat. I'm going to fill it up. And he, he was already fixing the problem before I knew I had a problem. Uh-huh. And I thought, wow, that's really attractive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me uh, re-examine this John guy. So a couple weeks later, I said, okay, fine. We had talked so much, and I had thrown at him every reason why we shouldn't be together. Mm -hmm. And they had just kind of all fallen apart. So by the time I agreed to date him, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that we were going to get married. Because all of of those things, I mean, I, I threw everything at him of any possible objections. So mm-hmm. it was it was nine months later that we went ahead and got married. Okay, very good, very good. So you guys have been married for three years now mm-hmm. and you live in Virginia, is that right? Technically West Virginia, we bought a house in October just across the border because it's so much cheaper. Sure, you gotta do that, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, well you guys obviously live in a beautiful part of the country mm. then. That's a lovely corner that not a lot of people really get to. So uh, it's it's probably one of the last few places in the country that, that it's still kind of kept a secret. So let's see here. You got a couple cats, right? I do have a couple cats. You're a cat person? John is, and mm. I didn't think that I was because I had a cat when I was younger that just just mm. ignored me. It just, it just yeah. had its life, and I didn't know that cats could be <laughs> lovely and cuddly and Aww. cute. And But John's a firefighter, so people just give him kittens for no reason. Does he rescue them from trees and bring them home? <laughs> That's what I like to tell people. But no, people just say, I have kittens. You want oh, you want no. a kitten? So we have we have two that are about six months apart in age, but they're still both pretty young. And okay. he is really good at training them to be really cuddly and nice. Nice, nice. Yeah. I used to have a cat that played fetch. So I know what you mean. Like, yes. there, there are some cats that can actually act like dogs. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Our younger one plays, plays fetch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you list Twitter as a hobby mm-hmm. uh, now reading is a hobby mm-hmm. is there anything in particular you're currently reading i like a good spread of genres i really like fantasy novels stuff like brandon sanderson J.R.R. Mm-hmm. tolkien things things like that mm-hmm. but i also enjoy non-fiction conservative right idea stuff always have a book with you right yeah mm-hmm. i always i like broadening the mind but you also list under hobbies, quote, having experiences. Mm. So what, what does that mean, having experiences? Well, this, is an, this would be an example of me flying down to Dallas to eat tacos and record a podcast. Just <laughs> something, having an experience, having a life experience. I got you. Okay. Very good. Well, I mean, is this everything you thought it would be? Yes. Sitting in this studio and, and recording this uh, podcast? Today? I wasn't expecting the pig but yeah, most, oh, yeah, mostly up to expectation. You got uh, Jeffy Jr. over there, <laughs> uh, the, the little pig mascot. We also have hanging up behind you is a rubber chicken. Oh, I love okay. that. We've got Nancy Pelosi wearing a mask and rooting <laughs> on the Canadian truckers from uh, several months ago. Uh, she's in here. We've got guitars and uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to start giving people... They come in here. I'm going to start giving them a parting gift. Hang on. Ooh. Everybody, because somebody sent us these uh, candy cigarettes, and I don't smoke. No. And so uh, <laughs> that we just have so many of them. So here you go. 
There's your souvenir for Thank coming you. all the way to the Blaze Abbey Libby, a box of candy <laughs> cigarettes. I feel very I don't honored. think they're going to let you have those, though, at the airport. So you might have to pack them in your bag. I'll hide them in deep, okay. deep in my bag. <laughs> okay. Uh, you listen to country music. I do. All right. So who's your favorite? You can only pick one. <laughs> Probably uh, George Strait. Okay. Kind of walking that line between the old and the new. See, I don't know a lot about country music, but I do know that George Strait is kind of a foot in... In, in both classic or more modern. Mm-hmm. I, see, look, I, I know something about country there music, you y'all. If you can only keep five possessions. Mm. You got your passport. Yes. Your gun. Yeah. Whatever book you're currently reading. I think that's fun. Uh, your phone and a cast iron skillet. Now, not to, and I, I know, I know every time I do this podcast, I get to this question and I go, oh, I got to change that. Is it, <laughs> is it, is it deserted island? Is it sentimental, you know, if it, but anyhow, let's just say you've only got these five possessions. That cast iron skillet is not going to come in handy without something to cook on. That's true. <laughs> I think I, I think I just kind of assumed, assumed, assumed there would be, okay. be food where I was going. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Now, listing your passport, mm. like have, do you get a lot of use out of that? Do you get to travel the world and see a bunch of countries or is that just something you'd like to have or have handy in case you, you know, were down to five positions? <laughs> I wish I was able to travel more yeah. than I am, but when I get an opportunity, it's mm-hmm. often pretty quick. So having the passport up to date at all times means that I don't have to say no to oh. a really cool opportunity. For example, I got to go down to Costa Rica just mm. a month ago. If I hadn't had my passport up to date, that turnaround would not have worked out. Somebody recently told me that, and I have no idea if this is accurate or not, but somebody recently told me that Costa Rica was, quote, a libertarian paradise, end quote. I have not done any research. I saw that and I thought, wow, I would not think that. Was that your experience? I don't know how long you were, you said a week you were down there. Costa Rica is a very interesting country. Their Hmm. motto is Pura Vida, which means pure life. So that kind of ethos of libertarianism, it it was a, described to me as if you pay someone double their day's wages, they just won't come to work the next day <laughs> because they're just very living right on the edge of just what, what do I need for today? What do I need to eat today? What do I need to clothe today? And they're not really thinking, they're not planning for the future. That's just the culture. Mm. Um, it's got a dark side. There's a incredible amount of prostitution, drugs, mm. and it's a place where... It's a libertarian paradise, like it, I said. Truly, <laughs> truly. There's a lot of very, very rich people from the States and other wow. places that are in some areas. There's a lot of really good sport fishing, which is what they come for primarily. And they really feed that aspect of... Okay. The, the prostitution in particular. Oh, boy. So it's got, there were places I, it wasn't good for me to go, and there were places it was good for me to go in Costa Rica. Okay. What part of Costa Rica were you in? I was, I, I couldn't point to it on a map, but it's a, the Los Sueños. It's almost like a sub-town. It's a resort area. Is um, it on the coast then? Or? Yeah, it would have been. It's on the coast. A okay. uh, lot of... Harbor for boats. I got you. The other interesting thing is that they don't have their own military. Uh, the United States military is based 
has a big base down there and oh. basically has a deal with them to keep them safe and they just don't fund any type of military. That is interesting. Wow. Very interesting. Well, you got to have a lot of faith in a, another country's government that to have them protect you like that. Indeed. My goodness. So staying internationally here, you list the most scared that you've ever been uh, back when you were in Africa as a child. Mm-hmm. And some events that were happening there. What happened that that caused you guys, I guess, to to leave? Was it, you know, something pretty bad with the government there? So a lot of those those nations, the when the countries that colonized them moved out, mm-hmm. what was left behind a vacuum was a vacuum and lines drawn around tribes that didn't necessarily get along. Mm-hmm. And this is probably why, when you look at a map of Africa, the borders are so ridiculous looking. They're silly. So they're, they, so it, that, that's what it is, huh? To try to separate tribes into different countries? That's part of it. And then they tried to institute democracy in most of these nations. Uh-huh. And democracy works when you have kind of that foundational ideological understanding of, of freedom and mm-hmm. um, all these things that came kind of through... Christendom and, and Greek and Roman thought and that's that background just isn't there in Africa just like it's not there in the Middle East and so it's like trying to build a house with no foundation even though we know the house is really good we discount how deep our foundation goes in the United States when we try to put democracy on these other countries mm-hmm. so what happened was a, a lot of those countries are pretty unstable and we we knew an election was coming and we thought it would probably be okay but a lot of people weren't happy with the results of that election. So things were brewing for a long time that we weren't particularly aware of. And in 2002, when we'd been there about two and a half years, overnight, a rebel group came in led by one of the generals who didn't think that the president should be president and tried to take over the entire country. They succeeded in taking half. Mm. So overnight, we woke up and a town a few miles north was where the line was going through Bwake, halfway down the country. And we knew that they were trying to push in further. So the French, the UN, French troops from the UN got involved because France understands that when they left the country after they colonized it, they still take some responsibility for the unrest that remains and the instability that remains. So... They took over our school compound, our mission school compound, and evacuated people, um, not Ivorian people, but expatriates from other countries who were at uh, other international schools. Some of them were missions work, some of them were humanitarian. Evacuated them down to our school. And meanwhile, the fighting, just the battle lines just kept getting closer and closer. Mm. So when they were about a mile out of our town, our mission called it. So they evacuated us all down to Abidjan on the coast. And it's just one of those things where you you take a bag and you put as much as you can in it. No. And that's what you get to take of your life. God. And we sat in Abidjan hoping that things would get better. We sat there for a couple weeks at and a how, college how campus. You? I was seven at this point. God. And my dad and a bunch of the men from the mission went back to Yamasukro into kind of the thick of it to get more of our more of our items, more of our supplies, a couple more bags, and then they uh, put us on planes and took us home. Wow. 
did your parents ever allude to this, whether at the time or after the fact? Did they ever talk to you about how concerned they were, how scared they were? Like, did you guys ever fear for your life? Yes, and more so the second time. So you went back. I, I, I can't uh, imagine going back to a place where I was you know, under so much threat, but that's just me. It was one of those things where when God has called you somewhere, uh-huh. sure. sometimes it's hard to know when the calling ends. And I think we weren't supposed to go back the second time, mm. but that's really between my parents and the Lord. And that's not something that I hold against them in any way, but it was, it was kind of in the entire mission group made a mistake. I think trying to go back that second time I into see. a situation that seemed like it had calmed down, but there was a lot of stuff brewing under the surface still. Right. Uh, you just talked about, you mentioned the Lord, and you list when you accepted Christ as your biggest turning point in your life. How old were you then? I was four mm. when I I was in a, a Christian preschool program. Okay. So I, I knew that my parents believed in God, but there was a, it's that age where I remember starting to wake up into consciousness. Like mm. I existed and then I started having conscious thoughts like, oh, I told a lie that was bad. I feel bad about that. Um, so I became almost within, I don't know how long of a period mm-hmm. of time it was, but some of my first memories were realizing I was a sinner and then <laughs> <laughs> realizing there was something that could be done about it. Right. So a lot of people might be listening right now and they might hear that, okay, so you became a Christian at age four. You were too young to really understand the gravity of such a decision and uh, one of the magnitude that it is a relationship right with Christ. So did you ever revisit that as an adult and say, okay, now I really grasp this now that I am much older and kind of almost, I don't want to call it uh, making the same decision again, but more having kind of a, um, I guess, a different take on the gravity of things when you were older. Did that happen for you? Yeah, I have, I don't entirely know why, but I was always intensely aware that I had accepted at a very young age Mm -hmm. and that that wasn't, it's not that it wasn't going to be true for all time, but that I was going to grow past the decision and would need to probably keep making it into some, I I never thought I could grow out of my salvation, but each time I felt like I had reached a new stage of life, I thought, Am I still in this? Yes, I am. And so it's it's been pretty sure. regular. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people come to those kind of conclusions at such a young age mm. that maybe, I don't want to use this phrase, but maybe it doesn't stick mm-hmm. as much as it would if they had come to that conclusion much later on. For example, speak about myself here. Born and raised, you know, Southern Baptist. And I remember, quote, walking down the aisle when I was seven years old. Mm. And the Keith at age seven and the Keith much later on have a much different perception of God and Mm -hmm. Christ and religion itself than as a child. Yeah. And so as you grow and learn and study, then you're going to have different. So it's almost like I feel like as you are growing up 
And as you are becoming an adult, and even after you're a full-grown adult, you're going to have these different markers in your life where you kind of want to reassess things to see if, okay, do I still believe this? And, and maybe you maybe you change religions along the way. I certainly did. And so I can see how you would maybe have a different perception and a different relationship for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely, uh, uh, I think, accurate for anybody. So... Are you of the same faith that you were at age four that you are now? Were you able to to stick to and I guess believe that brand of Christianity this entire time? At its simplest form, yes. In that my initial understanding was I I was a sinner. I had a darkness inside me and I had a darkness out. I remember just a lot of those early memories being pretty dark just my world was kind of dark and i remember Mm. just a light coming in Mm. and saying i could this is a person i can talk to even when i'm in my bed and i'm supposed to be going to sleep i'm allowed this is i'm allowed to talk to him (laughs) and um i remember jesus lets me stay up late (laughs) (laughs) he was with me all the time and even Uh though there were times where i i had to face oh this is he's he's bigger and different and maybe scarier or not quite what i thought he was or wanted him to be uh-huh. and but we're still friends and and i mean that sincerely that is really great that that because i don't run across that a lot in my life where mm-hmm. where someone has basically the same beliefs that they had as a child that they have as an adult and and i mean that in all sorts of manners like whether it's um they didn't believe when they were younger and now they do or mm. they did when they were younger now they don't mm-hmm. or they believed then they believe now but they've just changed their 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 own understanding along the way so good for you on on having a lifetime of basically the same faith yeah thank you yeah seriously um okay comfort food homemade pizza you got to love any kind of pizza whether it's homemade or comes from a mm-hmm. uh, the store or or whether it comes from a delivery I mean, i'm just a pizza freak so <laughs> anyhow but your mom makes a particularly good pizza recipe is that right she has she has a good <laughs> recipe for the crust in particular the crust. and it was just a tradition every every friday we got to the point where my mom had to admit that she didn't really like cooking and <laughs> and i did and i was okay. interested in that so i took it over at 16 all the I said, if I'm going to take the cooking, I got to take the shopping too, because I got to be in control of all of this. Right. And she was like, fine, here's some money, go shop. Okay, go. good for you. But I made her agree to make pizza with me every Friday night because I wanted to do it with her and I didn't want to take that piece that, you know, that was part of our family tradition. So when that kind of shift came when I was 16, we would sit and we would make the crust <laughs> together. Well, I don't want you to have to divulge a family secret here, however. <laughs> That being said, is there a, a secret you can share with us on the, making the perfect crust? It's just a lot of people use something that's already made or uh, from frozen dough, and there's you just cannot beat homemade from scratch that day, very fresh. <laughs> uh huh. That's it. That's the whole secret. That's wait. I don't, I don't even know that I learned anything there. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Okay, let's see. You mentioned community theater, mm-hmm. right? You're able to do that somewhat, but you also knit. I do. That's another. That's another like talent of yours. There. That's yeah. My grandmother and my aunt together kind of tagged team to teach me. In between the two Africa trips, so I was about mm. seven. Okay. I think it was part of their way of recognizing that. I had been through kind of a, a, a very big thing and mm-hmm. not knowing even how to interact with it. And so said, let's sit down and learn how to knit. Are you a patient person? 
Because that seems like that would take patience to really sit there and learn all that. Because I'm just, I'm just trying to. Because I've, I've seen relatives in my life. I can just see them in my head right now, knitting and crocheting and all that good stuff. And just like they've tried to teach me, and my brain just can't comprehend. You're a patient person, aren't you? I'm patient with things, less so with people. I'm working on that. But <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> knitting is very you. You not and you not and you not and you yeah. not. You just keep going. You watch TV, and it's relaxing. You can what? Yeah. So your brain is focused on one thing, and like this is just kind of like. I, okay, here's what I think it is like. I think it's like singing and playing a guitar at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're watching TV and knitting, it's like your one side of your brain's focused on this and one's... It's yes. the rhythm section. See, yeah. but my brain can't do that. My brain has to just focus. Huh, that's very interesting. Okay, so you mentioned the knitting in between Africa mm. trips. You said it was probably, or at least you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, kind of a mistake you felt going back the second time. What happened? We went back when I was nine. I was I was over the moon to get back home, which is the way that I get back saw home it, to, to Africa. Africa. Oh wow! Okay, because that was two and a half years of my very form- formative. And you had friends time. there, right? Friends there, house there, wow. stuff there. A lot of stuff was lost in those two years. Um, nationals took it, sold it. You know, people who were upkeeping our. It wasn't stolen. It was just. Well, these people aren't coming back. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of a way that they were paid in some ways for the service of protecting the property. Mm. Um, so a lot of things were gone, and a lot of people were new and different. But some of the the friends were old, and it was still, I think, the best three months of my life. Just very, very tight knit group of people recognizing how tenuous the thing we had was because mm-hmm. we'd all lost it before, right. and. Um, I hadn't fit in well in school. Just little wild African kid just does not fit in well with a with a kindergarten class or a first grade class. So, getting back with other wild missionary African kids was <laughs> was exactly what I wanted. And so, for the first time, I felt like I had actual friends. So, were were there when you went to school in Africa? Was it you? sticking out among the locals or was it a bunch of missionary kids such as yourself on like a campus type setting a bunch of missionary kids in a campus most of the properties around there even the locals properties were um concrete walled in and then um one story buildings throughout that property so Mm. if it was a nationals compound they would have their chickens running around in their compound it was a way to kind of protect all of their extended family and their livestock and things like that so our our school was a compound and all the kids were in the same mission group but they could be from germany or they could be from france and so yeah all over the world Mm -hmm. but this the language we spoke there was english okay and we were all learning french because that was the that was the language of the right and you said it's only three months you were back there three months the second time I remember we were having pizza because it was a it was a <laughs> of course with the perfect that, crust with the perfect crust that time of week except we could only get Edam cheese for some reason which is a European cheese and spam instead of pepperoni so our, it was Edam cheese spam pineapple and yeah that was the pizza and <laughs> and we had my sister and I had gone off to take our shower after dinner and we heard this really loud 
banging noises. And I thought somebody must have slammed the bathroom door really, really, my, you know, my dad must be really mad or oh something because that was a really loud sound and it happened again. And I kept looking around like what there's no, I can't put a meaning to this sound. Right, right. What's causing that? And my mom came in and she, she looks scared and she said, it's there just some bombs coming down it's it's a little bit <laughs> look far. i know you guys are getting ready for bed but i just want to give you a heads up there's some bombs nearby exactly my mom is a very calm person she, okay. she's very very chill and um she had you know it wasn't her first rodeo mm-hmm. so we all kind of got together in in the living room with another you know a couple other people from the mission there people coming in and out the door talking to us about you know what's going on as part of the part of the nature of the thing, we all had go bags. So okay. we all, oh, yeah. at any given time, we knew that there was an emergency bag we could grab. And I remember the conversation was, do we grab them and run now or do we wait? Mm. And what's the right answer here? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there like, I've been through this before. I don't want to go through this again. Like, oh, this gosh. is not like, I just got home and... We decided not to go head out right away. That night heated up quite a bit more. What was happening is a couple, we had heard this from a distance a couple days before. The Ivorian army under President Bagbo had decided to bomb some of the rebellion army that was on that line that was oh. still dividing the country. Okay. And they either accidentally or on purpose bombed a French outpost and killed nine UN soldiers and one American aide and the UN retaliated by bombing the planes in our town. So about, they were dropping bombs about a mile away on Ivorian aircraft. The problem in the situation was that the UN French soldiers were white and the Ivorians were all black. And the perception of the nationals was the white people are bombing us. The mm. white people are the bad guys. It's a very normal, easy perception to have, especially when you have that visible of a difference. Mm-hmm. So that night they were riding outside our compound because they knew we were all white. And oh, that gosh. night they, anybody who even had a French name on their business got looted and destroyed that night across the country. Um, schools were burned down, bookstores were absolutely shredded, and there was shooting in the streets outside our house. So my parents put my sister and I on a mattress in between two concrete walls to make sure nothing could come in the window and mm. hurt us. And we ba- I remember we barely slept that night, and I, my parents were packing um, our bigger bags because we, we decided to hold you. We, we decided it was probably safer to hole up in the compound mm-hmm. then try to run with a go bag because it would have been even more dangerous out outside right. so we stayed in that compound for about a week just hiding basically yeah. um trying not to go out in the street trying not to you know we tried to we knew we had friends in the area and we talked to our friends in the area and, and they kind of helped calm down the people around us so uh-huh. the initial writing in our specific area went down and at the end of that week, the Ivorian military came in with a bus into our compound. We got on the bus. They had their guns and got us on the bus to the airport. And a British Hercules came 
no seats. We put our uh, suitcases down and sat on, on the suitcases in the belly of the cargo plane. Mm. And they got us to Ghana. And we had refugee status in Ghana for two weeks before we were able to get flights out to the United States. And that was that was it. That was the end of it. My parents were like, we're not doing this. We're not doing this again. I bet. My gosh. You, boy, you, you avoided disaster not once but twice hmm. in the Ivory Coast, huh? My gosh. So your experiences as a child over there, has that affected your, I guess, perception of wanting to do this kind of stuff as an adult? One of the things that I came to feel later on was that there was a season in history where people from America needed to go to places that had never heard the gospel mm-hmm. to share it because they ha- one group of people had the gospel and the other didn't even have an inkling of it. Okay. Um, so it made sense for the original rounds of missionaries to be going to China and to be going to Africa. But at a certain point, they have the gospel, and then it becomes this kind of savior complex of people from first world countries going to third world countries and this kind of righteous, but there's a disconnect. You you have almost this, this God race coming, hmm. these angels coming and telling you about the gospel, and that's at a certain point not healthy anymore. For those churches, they need to be led by nationals. And, and there's discipleship that can happen, and the translation still needs to happen of, of Scripture. But I came to the point where I didn't agree anymore with the concept of me as an American going to Africa mm. to do missions work. So get this. Uh, Steve Dace, uh, who does a program, an awesome program on The Blaze, mm. my employer, he had a guest on once that uh, not too long ago who, who made this point. Because, you know, like... In the Bible, right? It says that everybody's got to hear the gospel before the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and this guy was making the case that the internet is now that 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 conduit to the ends of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. That was a very fascinating discussion. And he was talking about, because he runs a mission that focuses kind of on the technology aspect, the internet and all this stuff. And he was saying that, I guess, within a year or so from now, they should be able to have the, um, I forgot all the details here, but basically he was saying that, look, look, within the next year, we're going to be everywhere with the gospel. And so we will fulfill that. It was very interesting because I've never thought, because whenever you think of that, you think of missionaries, right? Mm -hmm. You think of people physically going to places and spreading the word. Mm -hmm. This is more of an internet uh, angle to it. I don't know. Look, obviously... (laughs) I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> Nobody knows when the end's coming. But I just thought that was a fascinating uh, take on that. Yeah. So. I will. I think there's the verse that says every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So just because someone has heard the gospel, maybe in a language they know a little bit, mm. it says every tribe and every tongue. So we might have a little bit further to go <laughs> than he thinks. I love it. I love it. Okay. So if you can go back in history, you would like to meet the Inklings. Mm-hmm. I didn't even... I told myself, don't even Google that. <laughs> Make her tell you. What's the Inklings? What, what am I missing here? It was a group of writers who were all friends. They, um, including most notably J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Oh, Lewis. Really? 
Um, C.S. Lewis. Uh, yeah, wait a minute. Keep talking. Now okay. it's coming back to me. Yeah, I just never knew the name of that. And it was like a group. Yeah. Yes. Owen Barfield was another prominent member. There was a couple others who were kind of in and out of the group, and they kind of adopted Dorothy Sayers. Um, <laughs> the the. That's awesome. Agatha Christie type yeah. author. Okay. But they all had, minus Dorothy, had served in World War One, So they all had that combat uh-huh. experience, the horror of World War One, that they shared together and wrote about in their own ways. And what would you say to them? I think I would just want to hear them talk you just want to, to each hang other. Out and just yeah. be invisible? Not necessarily not participate, but yeah. just kind of feel the conversation as I talk to each other and throw in my own comments here and there. <laughs> what is something on the Abby Libby bucket list that you would like to accomplish in your life? You you list in the email that, you know, you're ambitious, but you don't have big plans. It, just take opportunities as they come. Because I'll tell you right now, as someone who's lived a, a little while longer than you have, it's impossible to predict where your life is mm-hmm. going to go. It's impossible. You can try as hard as you can to set the path and set the course that you want. There are always going to be outside, you know, external forces that are going to change your path in one direction or another. But that being said, what is something that you would like to accomplish as you look ahead? Having started off so young at such a high level of, of life experience, right. I have just wanted to maintain that same uh, speed, if you will. So I, I keep my passport updated so that every <laughs> chance I get that I can afford to go somewhere and experience something I haven't before, I would like to see more of the world. That's mm-hmm. I don't really care what things. I just want to get to the end and feel like I had as much life as I possibly could have had. What's the next country you want to see? I think Europe or Russia would be, I've only really been to Europe on layovers to Africa. So I think I'd like to experience something over <laughs> life there. Life outside the airport you'd like to see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had a few experiences in South America more recently and mm. I like to get over to, uh, it's a bad time to go over to Ukraine or Russia, but mm-hmm. I'd like to, see the Kremlin someday and mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. All right. Do you speak other languages once you get over there or? I have a little French. Obviously. Yeah. And I can, because of the relationship between French and Spanish, I, I can understand quite mm. a bit more. I can't mm. speak it and it melds with French in my mind, but I, I'm comfortable in a Spanish okay. country. Okay. Very cool. All right. You're writing a book. That's exciting. You want to tell? You want to give a sneak peek uh, what it's about, or when it might get uh, published, or or is this all uh, TBD? It started off because I felt like I was. It's the fear of missing a FOMO. My sister and my Wait, good. That's a t- working title. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, my my writing started out because I I was experiencing FOMO. And FOMO is fear of missing fear out. Fear of missing out. My uh-huh. sister was writing, trying to write books, and my. <laughs> friend Danielle was trying to write books and I was like they can do it I can do it and I don't want to be the one left out so the first it would have been the summer after my freshman year of college I was just starting to um, clinically speaking PTSD sets in 
several years after the fact, especially with with kids. Mm. So I was just starting to experience severe PTSD from my experiences in Africa. Things were starting to crop up of how I was reacting to fireworks and how I was reacting Mm. to situations where I might have to leave a situation very quickly. I had a severe attack when um, my camp cabin flooded and I had to pack a bunch of stuff really quickly. And I just... It's just one of those, you just completely, your mind just blanks out and you just sit there and my body was like, we're going to just, we need to throw up. We need to, mm. like, wow. this is not acceptable. We will not do this again. Um, just kind of your body revolting against the situation. And so I was for the, trying to find some meaning or find some resolution to all of that. So I thought, let me write a book about the only type of PTSD I know anything about, which would be combat veterans. So I, I started to write about this young guy who fought overseas and come back and trying to work through my own experiences with PTSD right. in a context that somebody else could understand. Because part of my struggle has always been, how do I make someone understand something that nobody has gone through? I don't know any missionary kids who have been in a war zone other than the ones that were there with me. And we don't really talk about it because we don't talk about it yeah um so i was trying to find a connection there so the first draft of that story came together that summer and then i took it into school the next year and did a internship with an author where she worked through it with me and uh ended ended that year realizing that i had a long way to go as a writer (laughs) and the story wasn't anywhere close to where i wanted it to be so almost every fall i revisit it oh cool and every fall i get done and i think ah it's just not where i want it to be one day one day day. i might rewrite it and think this is finally done right right. just wait till you have kids you'll have no time (laughs) whatsoever to work on anything i believe it (laughs) so okay um on social media you are Abby Libby, mm-hmm. but but see, this is you, it's A B B Y L I B B Y, and then the little underscore. Mm-hmm. Did you have to add that? Some was there another Abby Libby out there? There was. What in the Ridiculous. world? Ridiculous! I think that person is a liberal too. So. Oh no, I see. So that's uh, that's your Twitter handle. Yes. Don't forget the underscore. <laughs> and you're also um, you do you do some work over at uh, freedomalliance.org, mm-hmm. and. That's, I mean, that's your job, right? That's my job. So will people find you on that website or? I, I don't exist on that website. A lot okay. of things that okay. are there I wrote or I designed okay. or things like you. that. But I got you. Very well. Um, I appreciate you making time here. Is there, have we covered pretty much everything? Or? I think so. Think so? All right. <laughs> Abby Libby, thanks so much. Yes, that's her real name. <laughs> thanks for joining me here on At The Mic. I appreciate it. Thanks, Keith. It was such a pleasure getting to know more about Abby and her story. I had no idea that she'd spent time overseas in such harrowing situations. My goodness. I appreciate her taking the time to discuss her story with us here on At The Mic. Hey, if you get a chance to subscribe to this podcast over at youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith, I would be so grateful. The show is also available when you head to at the mic show.com places you can get this show and if you're able to rate the show five stars on apple itunes or spotify we'd so appreciate that as well it helps more people find the show when they're looking for some good conversations like you found us right here now on the next edition of at the mic i'm going to sit down with my friend ian patterson you may not be familiar with his story 
but you may be familiar with the system of underground contacts that Americans used to evacuate innocents from Afghanistan in the chaotic final days of the American occupation there? Well, Ian was an instrumental part in saving lives there in Afghanistan. We're going to discuss his own life story along with that here next week on At The Mic. And I know I say it a lot, but it can't be said enough. Please go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.